Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget it. Well, it's an honor to have Caleb Isley with me again, the uh, uh, creator of Humans of Adventism, and now uh, recently moved to Oregon. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks. It's good to be back. How's uh, Oregon treating you? I, I'm loving life. Honestly, it's a, it's a breath of fresh air for me. Um, you know, I... I as you know, probably from from my interaction with Spectrum in the past, I was living in a with limited resources for a very long time, and just kind of using what I had and and finding ways to make it work. But um, very much feel like I've kind of I don't know gone ahead in time or, or something where I've I've come to a place where resources are readily available, and now I just have to figure out you know how best to use those. So it's, it's an exciting time. And, and I'm working with a lot of people that I, I look up to and trust. And yeah, I, I really think within the next year or so, you're going to see a lot of, of changes in my own work and hopefully in, in the work of others that I can collaborate with. That's fantastic. I'm so glad that you're feeling uh, more secure and you're getting to uh, experiment more. Can you give us a little uh sense of what you are doing with uh, Adventists there in Oregon? Yeah. So I would say, you know, I've, I've been very involved in the local level uh, for a long time. This doesn't get publicized as much, but uh, back in Orangeburg, I was preaching and, and teaching Sabbath school and that kind of thing. Um, but this is actually the first area of Adventism where I've seen so many people at work and in leadership positions that are similar age to me. Oh, cool. Um, Yeah. So there's, there's a thriving, there's actually a a whole segment of, of the organization here. That's for not just families, but people post college to 35 or 40. Um, And just a, there's been a recent kind of wave of retirees Um, and so that means that they've hired just a whole lot of people that have only been here a year or two. So we're, we're kind of all rolling up our sleeves and, and deciding and building and, and following the calling of, you know, how do we form a new foundation? You know, how do we, how do we interact with, with creatives like, like me? How do we interact with, you know, newer pastors and newer forms of evangelism and that kind of thing. And so it's very much right now an atmosphere of development. Um, so that's, that's very exciting for me. Um, but yeah, just right now I have the next two weeks I'm speaking at local churches here and then, um, traveling for some other speaking engagements in other areas of the country now through, I think February next year. Um, so a lot more, a lot more, I guess, uh, public where, where my face will be there <laughs> yeah. you know, instead of just online based. Um, and really during that time, I'd like to develop, you know, what's, what's next for humans of Adventism. Do we, do we start now, you know, localized chapters and kind of develop that? Do we go into film? Do we, you know, 
what do we do? Do we keep just being a supportive kind of hub for other uh, people and, and creative processes and things? And I, I'm not at a place where I can give, you know, definite details on that yet, but, but it's definitely, I mean, on a daily basis, new developments are happening. So it's an exciting time. Yeah, great. It's great to hear about all the innovation that's going on and that you're able to get out and spread um, your message uh, uh, more widely. Um, Kind of for the the theme of this uh, episode of Adventist Voices is to focus on the upcoming general conference session happening uh, next summer. And... um, the reason that I'm uh, chatting with you is because you are a native of Indianapolis, the city where the general conference session is going to be held. So um, I'm looking forward to kind of exploring that uh, community and maybe you can help us understand the city where 50,000 Adventists are going to be um <laughs> Uh, kind of taking over the downtown uh, for a couple of weeks. Um, so can you talk a little bit about your connection to Indianapolis? Yeah, we, we have a name actually for, for Indiana people and that's Hoosiers. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. So um, Indiana, Indiana is, I mean, where I've spent still the majority of my life. Uh, my family moved from Mississippi when I was four up to Indiana. I went all through school about 30 minutes north of Indianapolis from first through uh, 12th grade uh, at Indiana Academy. And I'm historically connected to Indiana. Um, A true Hoosier. Yeah. I mean, generations back, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents all graduated from Indiana Academy. Oh, wow. Uh, So yeah, deep, deep roots there. And and, I mean, I've got family that owns like coffee shops there and, and uh, construction businesses. And so my exposure was, you know, to kind of the Adventist circles of Indiana, but also to the business side of, of Indiana, um, traveled all around throughout my childhood and did construction jobs with my dad. Um, you know, my family's both sides, dad and mom, very, very deeply connected there. Well, can you um, give us a sense of the character of a true um, Hoosier? (laughs) I, I don't know. It's depending on where you're coming from. I feel like some people are going to be a little disappointed. Um, It's, it's very commercialized. Um, When I was growing up, it was very agricultural still. Um, But a lot of that land, the kind of, stereotypical corn fields and soybean fields and stuff has been sold off in the, in the past couple of decades. And there's just now you can drive certain areas for an hour, two hours, nothing but chain restaurants, bowling alleys, you know, car dealerships, all kinds of stuff. So yeah, if you're, if you're into chain restaurants, if you're into, uh, you know, commercial stuff, uh, you'll never run out of stuff to do. Lots of movie theaters, that kind of thing. Um, but I don't know that it. Most areas, especially in Indianapolis, they don't have kind of the. I don't know the 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 character, the the face, the the specific like uniqueness that a lot of other places have. 
Um, I know there are, there are certain, you know, arts districts and things like that. And there are cool things to go see, but, but I will say it's very, um, commercial based. Yeah, that's definitely a story I think, um, told more than once about the kind of, um, uh, kind of corporate takeover of urban spaces um, mm-hmm. over the last couple of decades where um, parking lots get put down, big box stores get brought in um, entire strip malls are basically um, duplicated from one city to the next with a, with a electronic store and a Michael's and a Chili's yep. and a, you know, <laughs> all of that kind of thing. Um what should um, maybe you can talk a little bit about Indiana Adventism um, since you've lived on the East Coast, the South, now the West Coast. What is it about that kind of Midwestern Adventism? Is there anything that kind of stands out that's particular? Sure. Um, I guess I'm probably biased by being someone who grew up there and, you know, went through my whole, my whole understanding of Adventism was Indiana Adventism for a long time. Um, I think that, again, depending on where you're coming from, uh, in some ways, Indiana Adventism has had a lot of time to develop and kind of, I don't know, just, just develop like deeper and deeper into the cultural sides of Adventism and maybe spiritualize those. So... I mean, you have people who truly like a big sentiment where like, you know, vegetarianism is a, you know, go to heaven or hell kind of idea. Um, You have like deep uh, ties to literature evangelism. You have just kind of, kind of the, when people talk about growing up Adventist for my generation and, and my parents and grandparents, the references of cultural things that they're going to bring up uh, were deeply embedded in, in the area that I did for sure. Um, Let's say it's definitely in my experience, a more conservative area. Uh Um, But again, I mean, I, I also left and, and moved away probably, you know, 15 or let's see, 2000, Seven years ago. No, it's 2019, nine years ago. Yeah. So they've had time to develop and and go into different things. I will say um, Timbridge camp is a very strong uh, tie for young adults. Um, I actually, I'm close with the director there and, and a lot of the now staff um, is really like a a hub and a haven for uh, young leadership and, and just, people giving their lives to, to God, uh, very positive area for sure. And somewhere that I spent a lot of time growing up. Well, that's helpful to know. Um, so at GC session, Adventists, um, kind of descend into an urban environment. Um, and well, there's lots of Adventists who live in cities, Historically, there's always been this ideal that pulls Adventists out of cities into the country where they can commune with God better. Mm. Now, of course, um, Ted Wilson, um, interestingly, to some has really tried to emphasize evangelism 
to um, big cities around the world. There's not a lot of evidence that he's been very successful at that. But one thing that's always interesting to me is the kind of mix of that tension that's evident at general conference sessions. Um, Adventists are so Adventists can sometimes seem um, um, judgmental about cities, the sin that's there, um, the uh, dirt, the evidence of, well, or the lack of evidence of, of a sanctification. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I'm just curious um, from your perspective, is there um, some ways that folks who are, um, coming to Indianapolis can see it through, um, you know, a Hoosier's eyes. What are, what are some of the things that stand out about Indianapolis that might actually connect well with, um, Adventist values writ large? Yeah. So I think just kind of going back to something that you said, like this kind of fear and turning up our nose at cities and, and sinfulness in general or whatever. I, I mean, the biggest indictment of that attitude is just Jesus life. I mean, you, you have him intentionally going and spending quality time with people, um, that, that his church turned their nose up at. So I don't know that that's really Christ-like way to think. Um, but I will say as a, as a person going there, hopefully myself, I've seen a lot of, uh, examples of how Adventists interact with, uh, their, their communities and their secular or other beliefs, uh, neighbors. And I think the potential for us to do damage is pretty high. Um, you know, if we go into it with an attitude of making converts, if we go into it with an attitude of, uh, we are better and we want to make you like us, uh, we can actually damage not only the view of Adventism, but people's view of God. And so I, I think personally, I want to be really sensitive to that, but I don't want to just complain. I want to provide, you know, ideas for how to do this in a healthy way. Um, something that I've seen since I've been out here, we, we had a situation where, um, you know, I first time at, at Oregon camp meeting, um, I come out and see it. There's a ton of people and then they're, they're meeting in this little town called Gladstone and I mean, people in the city are talking, there are campers coming through town. There are, you know, there are all these people showing up where usually we don't have traffic. We don't have like, you know, this kinds of stuff. And, and so Adventists are known here, but there are several places that I've seen. They've done a great job of building community and supporting their community without making them feel threatened, intimidated, um, you know, degraded, uh, one thing, for example, is um, there's a, an Indian restaurant run by a Hindu couple here. And Adventists just go and they frequent this place on purpose. It's it's great food, first of all. But second of all, there's, there's a relationship where, though we don't share the same beliefs, um, people intentionally go and give their money. They intentionally go and support this business. They, you know, when there's catering or something that they need, they'll They'll ask them how best to do this. Can we support you? Would you like to do this? Yes. Um, Same with little coffee shops here. One great thing that I saw was for the young adult department, um, 
all the speakers that they brought in, they bought them shirts from this local coffee shop. And so the speakers would, would wear the shirts. They would go in and, and talk with the owner and talk with the employees. Uh, they'd stop in there regularly and get to know them and, and just find ways to support them. So even just all of us collaborating to shout them out on Instagram, you know, it's like, Hey, we're here. This is a great place. We know these people are, they're great. Come give your business here. Um, and I think that could work really well, especially if you can find the smaller businesses in uh, the Indianapolis area, because they're dealing with, I mean, this, this corporate boom where it's a very difficult place to survive as a small business. Um, so, you know, an easy way is just to go promote them, go talk to them about their, their experience starting it. You know, what's the most helpful thing that you can do? And maybe just go into the city with this idea of, of building relationships and friendships. And we are there to support, you know, we're not there to change, to force, to look down on anybody, but we are there to find ways to be the most helpful people that we can be. And in my opinion, that's the Jesus method, you know, always be about healing, always be about building each other up, always be about serving. Um, so I think, yeah, the opportunities are, are great, but there there's also a big opportunity for us to kind of bungle this. Yeah, I love your coffee shop example. That's um, a really great takeaway where folks, it sounds like, um, really kind of adopted a, a small local business, turned it into something that they shared with others and, and um, supported what was going on there. Um, and there's definitely opportunities like that at general conference sessions. Once folks get outside of the Adventist bubble that we create, mm-hmm. um, speaking of that kind of bubble, um, since you were just at, uh, Oregon camp meeting, um, are there other ways that you saw folks, um, or th- ways that the Adventist community, when it's gathered together, um, beyond the singing and the preaching, are there other ways that you found that were um, uh, sort of helpful takeaways or anything kind of new and emerging that uh, folks are doing um, when Adventists are gathered together? Yeah. I don't know if this is quite in line with what you're, what you're saying, but I've seen, I saw a couple of really healthy things that happened. Um, one is how they treated the the relationship between uh, young leadership and your more uh, senior members. And there was really an attitude of doing it together. Um, I saw this happen where, uh, like I said, there's a, there's an actual segment of the organization dedicated to people, you know, 20 to 35 or 40. And when they would bring in leaders to, you know, say, put together a program, put together outreach, put together, you know, any different thing that they were in charge of. Um, I saw especially Ben Lundquist, who's in charge of this area. (coughs) He would give those responsibilities over and then he would actually trust the person to do them. So it wasn't like, it wasn't micromanaged. It wasn't, um, you know, here's what you're going to do and you're going to do exactly what I say. It's you own this. And even if you mess up, we're going to have a relationship. And the attitude that I saw in the young leaders there was, was one of living up to that expectation. Um, you know, it wasn't like, 
there wasn't fear there. Uh, it was just, I want to do this well. So I think that was really impactful for me to see, uh, cause I haven't always seen the same. Another thing is a willingness to learn from a lot of different sources. Um, I think a lot of times Adventists have this attitude where we only want to hear from other Adventists or we only can like the only quality information comes from us. Um, but I mean, they, they took us out to the Nike headquarters and, and talked about how they handled generational differences and, and their different business models and things like that. And I think you could, you could easily take this concept of, you know, learning from other people out into Indianapolis when we're there, you know, there's, there's a a wealth of people who have all these different experiences and things to offer that we can bring in, um, that really aren't a, aren't a sacred or secular issue. They're just a good idea thing, you know, uh, how to train your brain and, and create culture in a healthy way. Um, so if, maybe if we, we didn't see ourselves as experts, but as learners, when we go in, I think some of those relationships that we want to build will happen much more naturally. That's a really great example. I love that idea of generations kind of working together and learning together. Um, this has been a really great chat. Thank you so much for kind of helping us think about communities. And um, I really hope to uh, see you at the general conference session. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Thanks a lot. Take care. All right. You too. Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move when the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely 